Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity, getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. On today's episode of Spin It, we'll be speaking with Robin Dreek. Robin is a bestseller, author, trainer, facilitator, and retired FBI special agent and chief of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. Hailed as the spy catcher and a world-renowned behavioral expert, on today's episode, Robin will share his secrets to establishing trust, creating impactful relationships, and the keys to building real connections. We'll take an intimate look into how he's taken his decades of experience and expertise to create the people formula and how it can take both your personal and professional performance to the next level. Hey, Robin, how are you? Welcome to the show and thank you so much for finally joining. This took forever to get on the calendar and it's going to be epic. Excellent, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, it's been a little bit of time, but uh, well worth the wait. Just like anything, it just percolates really well for us. So I'm excited to be here with you. I am too. So Robin, I was doing your intro a few times and I was kind of going back and forth, back and forth. My intro was like 18 minutes long and I decided against it. So I want you to tell our audience who you are and how this journey started for you. Because for me, when I learned about you, that's when I really connected the dots with how we would be friends. Absolutely. So I'm laughing because I have a few different things I typically say from time to time. Um, The quick answer is my name's Robin Dreek. I'm the founder and CEO of People Formula, a leadership and communication strategies company, and the retired head of the FBI counterintelligence behavioral analysis program, where my job for over 20 years was recruiting spies. That's the short version. Yes, the long version is how did I get to do all those things? I failed magnificently at doing all the things I really want to do in life. (laughs) I don't believe it. Oh, no, I don't believe it. Oh, I did. So, you know, so part of that journey was I'm a typical type A. I want to go to the Naval Academy. So I went to the Naval Academy. I became a Marine Corps officer from Marine Corps, went in the FBI, assigned to New York City, assigned to work counterintelligence. And so that sounds like that was a path you chose. So it took me to take the SATs seven times to finally get the minimum score I needed to get in the Naval Academy. It took me next year to get in the Naval Academy. And so the first challenge was I wanted to become this great Navy pilot and I want to be an astronaut, right? In order to do that, you should major in aerospace engineering. What moron allows a guy that took the SATs seven times to major in aerospace engineering? But they did, so I majored in aerospace engineering promptly failed out of that. I think I hold the record at the Naval Academy for going to four academic review boards. Uh, matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to be a guest speaker there coming up and because uh, my son's a senior there and actually he's doing everything opposite of me. He's like really, really smart as a mechanical engineer. And so I fail out of that. My eyes go bad. So I go Marine Corps instead of Navy Air. I mean, the whole world kind of goes sideways, but kind of like we were chatting about before, it's so easy to live life when you just walk the path that you're presented rather than fighting against uh, the one you're given. So there wow. you go. Okay. So, so now obviously I'm going to have to ask this because I have four children and mm-hmm. some of them had, you know, dyslexia and dyscalculia and, yep. you know, generalized anxiety disorder for test taking. 
Did you ever get diagnosed with like any sort of like learning disability? <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, other than I, from your wife, I like, grew up it, in a just time, from other people. You know, I was born in, in the late '60s, and so we grew up in a time where we should have all been diagnosed because right. I definitely had something. Although I will tell you, I discovered what my learning challenge was um, during the pandemic. I discovered that I'm what's called a kinetic thinker and a kinetic learner. I need to move in order mm. to really absorb the best because I started listening to Audible books. Yeah. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I started remembering everything I was listening to because I was moving and walking while I was listening. And it's like, huh, wish I knew that a lot of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that may have been helpful towards all my dreams that just went out the window. <laughs> Absolutely. And between that and forging relationships and having teachers, mentors, and guides in your life, which I didn't really know you needed. I thought what life was a solo journey that you're trying to master because you got to be self-reliant and that kind of spools out of control on you when you're a type A. So yes, all those great things coming together, finally manifesting. I'm a pretty calm guy these days. <laughs> right, right. So so Robin, you worked as at obviously the FBI, a very high ranking position. And you know, the question always you know, comes out, it's what did you do to get that job? So let me ask you in two ways. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you have natural talent where these areas of expertise came naturally for you? Or were these developed over time and you just went through the regular kind of corporate ladder to get into the position that you that you came into? This is my company within my company. They're always like, how did Robin get that job? Right. Yes to everything you said. <laughs> Life is never a clear answer of, of anything like this. I have two things that I was born with, whether through nature or nurture at a young age or I was born with them that were critical in helping me do this. Uh, number one was the way I was brought up was I was never brought up to think of myself as a victim. And what I mean by that is uh, neither of my parents went to college. I grew up in an extremely low-end um, blue-collar family. Everyone around me had a lot more money. Matter of fact, my parents have still never owned a home. And so at a very young age, at around the age of nine years old, I started working just so I could make enough money to buy school clothes and buy, have lunch to bring to school or buy lunch at school so I could keep up with the cool kids. And so at a very young age, I became exceptionally self-reliant. And, but never because I thought, woe is me, I'm a victim. I was always presented a challenge and then asked the question, what are you going to do about it? And I remember my, my mom saying when I was nine years old, hey, I have no money for school clothes this year. And this is when you're going to middle school when all that peer pressure comes in. And, it, and she, I said, really? No money for school clothes? I'm done with you. And I started putting my flyers around the, around the neighborhood to mow lawns, paper routes, you name it. I was a very young entrepreneur taking care of my needs. So that's the first thing was I never felt like a victim. So I always would do what I needed to do for progress. And so I think that's a good way to look at life was I saw challenges as fun adventures, something to work through and, and take on. The second thing is, even though I have a very type A personality looking at that background, which is type A to me is nothing more than a higher tempo and intensity of focus, which can be steamrolling over people when you're in your 20s, which believe me, I've done that horribly sometimes. But I absolutely love relationships and people and making connections. And so when you combine those two things together, it gave me the raw material, I think, to have a passion for making connections, building relationships, and forging trust. And so when I got assigned, you know, when I decided to go in the FBI from the Marine Corps and I had an opportunity, someone told me about the world of counterintelligence. I didn't even know what it was. And they said, hey, we try to recruit spies. And I'm like, 
well, that sounds interesting. How do you do that? And I said, well, our job every day is to build relationships. And I'm like, I love that. That sounds great. Now, granted, I still needed a lot to learn along the way. And so I had to get over myself, which is the hardest thing in the world is letting go of your ego, learning how to make it about everyone else but yourself. And that's through great language and action. And there you go. So long answer, but yeah, overcoming yourself, um, but using very one or two small nuggets I was luckily born with to do that. So Robin, when we all hear like FBI agent or, you know, spy or any of these things, automatically we go to, you know, Jason Bourne or James Bond, etc. How accurate is that as far as what you do and what you're up against when you're recruiting spies? So I always caveat this with it depends, depends on the person you are. I have known right. people that are the type A person that like to go in for the kinetic kill or they try to you use like great manipulation to cajole someone into cooperation. Okay, I've done I've seen people do that. And if you want to fail majestically, you can do that. You might get a short term one, you might uh, win and you might have a great transactional short term relationship. We mentioned Chris Voss beforehand, Chris Voss talks about transactional trust, transactional empathy, or strategic empathy. And those are very short term gains. But when you're actually trying to inspire someone not convince, but inspire because that makes it about them for long term relationship and cooperation, where they are literally putting their lives and their family lives in your hands, it's all about deep-seated, rooted, healthy relationships built upon trust. And so I am the anti-manipulation, anti-subterfuge. Even when we were a, a behavioral team strategizing human engagements, we would do all we could to avoid manipulation, avoid subterfuge. I mean, sometimes you have to use those techniques to gain access to someone. But as soon as someone that has used that technique gives you that access so you can have a direct conversation, you got to cut that person out because, because think about it. Do you trust anyone that is deceptive or even whether it's true or imagined in your life? No. I mean, so if they're coaching their their answers or a little showing a little subterfuge here, we don't trust them. And if they don't mm -hmm. trust you, there's no movement forward. So I would go and still do to this day, do all I can to avoid manipulation in any way whatsoever. You know, it's so interesting that you say that and going off topic for a brief moment. But it's so interesting that you say that, Robin, because obviously in the job that I do, there's a ton of of trust put in me yeah. and I don't necessarily have a problem I, I talk a lot about real-world experiences I don't say my clients names and I don't say oh well with Robin blah 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 I don't say that but I'm like oh I've been in I've had this happen to me before I've had a client this happen and it's so funny because when I was talking to Chris the other day Chris said Stephanie trustworthy people trust people Mm -hmm. And you know that that's a thing for him. It's like, it's is it transactional? Is it a connection? Like, how deep is the connection? Why is the connection there? What's the foundation of the connection? And I know with you, connection is so deeply important. My question is, because this is all the work that you're doing right now around connection, like you said, kinetic mm -hmm. learning and things like that. How did the pandemic affect you and your business? Um, major shift. You know, so before the pandemic, you know, I'd say 90, 95% of my business was in-person speaking. And I lost all of that. And so, again, the way I view everything in the world is, all right, that path stopped. What's the new path? And I opened my eyes and through the relationships I had, I had new opportunities and new ideas present themselves to me to do things virtually, to do online training, to do coaching and mentoring that I hadn't done before. 
and recently adding a podcast to that, you know, so it's, it's really just looking at and having multiple vectors in which to do and really serve the same why, you know, what's the purpose of our own individual lives and mine is to continually learn, educate myself, put into practice, then pass on to others all I can to help others build and forge healthy, strong relationships. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You just got to be open to them when they're presented. This is really important for, for the audience because this is something that I feel in, in our short time knowing each other. I feel like you're a master at this connection and I've watched it and I've seen it and I've, I've listened and, it, and it's incredible. Okay. When people would tell me you're a master connector, Stephanie, you connect so easily. People want to tell you things. I never really knew knew what that was and I never really understood how non prevalent it is and that it's a learned and practiced behavior. Mm. I didn't know that I was unaware of that. And so what are some of the things our audience, our listeners today who are smart and either they're entrepreneurs or executives, what can they do right now to start building connection and start building trust and a deeper long term relationship? Yep. I'm going to give you a two things. And one of the first thing is broken down into four elements. Um, the first thing is make it about everyone else but yourself. When I was first told this in the Marine Corps, when I was ranked last out of all the second lieutenants, 14 out of 14, my major tells me you just need to be a better leader and make it about everyone else but yourself. I looked at him with his dumbfounded look saying, what do you mean? I thought I was and he goes, I don't know, just figure it out. So in order to reverse that self centeredness of our language and actions, again, it's not our ego. That's like, Oh, look at me, look at me intentionally, but we are because we're self centered, we're taking care of our own hierarchy of needs. Mm. But if we want to start forging connections and trust, you need to make it about other people to get their brain to chemically reward them for engaging with you. And so my four pillars of communication are if you include this first one, seek their thoughts and opinions instead of sharing yours Two, talk in terms of their priorities and challenges and pain points instead of yours. Three, and this is the big critical one, validate them non-judgmentally by having non-judgmental curiosity about them. And four, empower them with choices. When you do one of those four things in every action you take, whether it's virtually, in a text, email, or in person, the entire shift goes from you to them. That's going to start forging that connection because that says to them, this person values me and they want to affiliate with me and they're good for my survival. Now, that's the first thing I do is add that to your language. The second thing that I would definitely do, which I love doing. This was a massively learned behavior because I had to first get over my own insecurities. We all have them. I'm not totally over them, but I'm over them enough to stop trying to prove myself to others, to try to stop making others think in terms of how they feel about me, but it's about how you make people feel about themselves by one, doing those four things. And second thing is I love to do is I'm going to discover your greatness. When I talk to you for the first time or any time, I'm constantly looking, I'm giving myself a positive confirmation bias because I know there's greatness in there. I'm going to find it, whether it's personally, professionally, in some place in your life, I can't wait to find what you are awesome at and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to show it to you and say, look what I found. This is so beautiful. This is so awesome. Do you mind if we share it with everyone else? Because everyone else could so benefit from seeing this. And so when you do those two things, that's making a powerful connection. It's so interesting how you say that. And then when you are, are talking to them about their greatness, do you see them retract? Do you feel them kind of go? A lot of times people get humbled by it. Mm. Um, they get a little, sometimes they're shocked and, but you see, I love seeing the eyes light up because you see that inner joy. I mean, you're doing it right now, that inner yeah. joy where, where people are like, oh my gosh, you see me. I always knew I, I thought I had something that, that, but I was always afraid to share it with someone or I thought it was, or they have imposter syndrome when they think it's not that big of a deal. Are you kidding me? It's a big deal. 
you know, yeah. my, my good friend, Joe Navarro, world renowned nonverbal expert, you know, that I always quote in this one area, he goes, if you have at least one bit of information, someone else in the world could benefit from, you know, it's our job to get it to them. And so that's what I will find that one bit of information, if not more in you, and I'm going to get it to the rest of the world if you're comfortable with it, because it's always got to be about them. <laughs> so Robin, that is so, that's so profound. And that's so beautiful. So many times um, when I get asked to speak, people talk about, you know, what's your message or, or what do you want to say? Or what, how do you want people to learn? And I'm always asking, what are their audience craving? Like, what does their audience want? What do they need? What are they asking for? So at the end of the speaking engagement, this woman came over to me and she goes, why do you do what you do? Tell me why. And I grabbed her by the arm, like very sweetly. And I turned her around to the mirror. And I said, when you started, when you walked into this auditorium, I'm not saying you were down. I'm just saying you weren't enlightened. You weren't inspired. You probably had a lot of things going on. You have not stopped smiling since you were here. When you feel that, I mean, Robin, as a coach, as a consultant, when you see someone's spirit light up and you see them go, oh, I can do this. Okay, I know what to do. Okay, I understand. There's no better job ever, ever, nope. ever than that. Nope. And it's incredible. And so when you speak, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what it is. It is literally the secret to a healthy, prosperous life is being of service to others. You know, yes. it, it is. And that's, again, the type A in me that wanted to conquer the universe, thinking by making it all about me. And Robert Greene in his book, The 48 Laws of Power, is so funny because it's it's a narcissist handbook about how to make it all about yourself. Yeah. And I recognized everyone in executive leadership in the FBI when I read this book. Not, not to bash on anyone, but it was really pretty profound. Most organizations are filled with people that are all about power and not leadership because Yes. leadership is about being of service to others. And this is no mistake. You know, back in the 30s, I think it was, when the first 12-step program started, you know, by two individuals that are trying to overcome alcoholism, they came up with the 12 steps of AA, which every 12-step program is based upon now for recovering people, trying to get over hardcore addictions and overcoming themselves. And the 12th step in every single program that people can defeat all these demons inside themselves is service to others. The way you stay sober in that program is you help others stay sober. The way you overcome overeating is you help someone else try to overcome overeating or it's Gamblers Anonymous or it's Overworkers Anonymous. I don't care what it is. The way that we become better, the way that we maintain our own great mental health is we be of service. I mean, the pandemic was horrendous. I had very, very down days like everyone did where you're like, what am I doing in the world and life anymore? Every time I had a moment of ugh, I said, I got to get out and be of service. I have to do a posting today. I have to provide some content for someone to benefit from today. Even if I can't go out and interact in, you know, interpersonally, I'll get a LinkedIn post out. I'll get an Instagram post out. I will take something I learned from one of these beautiful books I've read from all these great people throughout all time as a time traveler, you know, reading all these great things. I'm going to take some nuggets. I'm going to get some nuggets out to people today. And when one person gives a response, thank you for making my day. I mean, Stephanie, you, were, you said a few things already during our chat today that you made me feel better because, wow, I made an impact in someone's life. That is where we maintain our own mental health. And when we maintain our own mental health and we have that healthy outlook on the world, that's when we can be of greater service to others. That's why it's that self-perpetuating yes. um, cycle of leadership, which is about others. So you said a few things that I want to address for our audience. So one of the things we're so aligned on and on just our overall methodology and our philosophy on why we do what we do. And that's incredible. And I love that about us. 
um, one of the things that you said, Robin, was was an act in, in, in of service. When I say that to people that are feeling down or feeling hurt or feeling sad or feeling scared, um, back in the days of Katrina, you know, when people had lost their houses and I said, I want you to get up and I want you to look at what you have right now because there's so many people that have less than what you have on right now. And I said, I know it's hard, but you need to be an example to your kids. I want you to go do this, not for all day, but I want you just to go get it, to get other perspective about how blessed that you are, that you didn't lose a loved one. And, and right now we're talking about a thing, which is a house and it's a major thing. Okay. Every one of those people came back and said, I would have never in a million years thought to get up and go serve others. Yes. Yesterday I was on LinkedIn. I'm never on LinkedIn except to just do the post. Okay. Right. And I happened to hit the message box and a gentleman had read my, had read my article and he left me the most beautiful. I get, I get chills, the most beautiful message in. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for being so authentic. And you know, I get two or 300 of them a day, so I'm not able to answer every one of them. I'm right. just not, but I left him two voice memos. And I said, this is why I do this. And thank you so much for stopping your very busy day and writing that. It means so much to me. And he couldn't even believe that I answered. And it was just, I don't, I answered because it was so inspiring, no matter who it was that you took the time to do that. So I think in the message of getting out and being a constant and curious student in everything that you do and waking up and figuring out how to serve others. And the third thing is, is understanding that you are where someone is striving to be every single day. Mm -hmm. Have a gratitude. Be grateful. That's what I was about to say because the other half of that equation is demonstrating gratitude. Exactly. It is so powerful, so important to do every single day as well. Um, serve others and demonstrate gratitude to those who serve you. You know, we are all teacher, mentors, and guides to others, and we're all students of others. You know, and that's that's the flow of life. Everyone has something to give us, and everyone's have some, we have something to give someone else. So, absolutely. And yes, this is coming from a spy recruiting guy. Yeah, so. I'm like, and <laughs> and yeah, that's that's amazing. So, so Robin, tell me, is there ever a time in your career that you haven't been able to establish a connection? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you know, not understanding politics and organizations, you know, so inside the organizations I've been part of, I've suffered from, you know, a, uh, an altruistic look at things where I, th I thought everyone around me was just like me. I was extremely mission oriented and I didn't realize that there's some people that are not as mission oriented. They balance it with their own careers and they're career oriented. And that uh, it's not about the things you do that get you promoted. It's about who you know and the relationships you build that get you promoted. So there's been plenty of great blunders. But again, when you when you have these humbling moments in life where the path has been stopped short, when you don't have the victim mentality, you say, all right, what did I do to cause that? And you own it. And then you analyze the actions you took and the effect of those actions. And you can objectively say, huh, here's what I'm going to do next time. Here's what I learned from this one. And we just take that great, beautiful knowledge that this individual gave us. And that's and these are people that might be that you could consider as roadblocks, people that are objective, don't like you. No, they are beautiful gifts to you, showing yes. you exactly what you are not doing right in the moment to move in the direction you want to. So yes, I've had tons of those moments. <laughs> I like to consider those things. I tell the kids, those are my, those, you know, those pop quizzes that you had to take in school. Those are pop quizzes with no study, study guide. If you get two or three or four of those answers, right, those are lessons you can pass on to somebody else that you've lived through, you've gone through, and maybe you can actually 
actually share a bit of of the lesson with somebody else and and maybe may, I don't want to say save them from it but maybe lessen the blow. Yeah, and anyone can do all these great things at any age as well. You know, having my my 22-year-old son who's a senior at the Naval Academy about to become a second lieutenant in 2 months um, strategize leadership and human engagements with him since a very young age and watching him execute at a very high level that I couldn't do until I was in my 40s and even now it's it's inspiring it's it's the most gratifying thing in the entire world um, as I realized and I as a mom you probably realize the same thing I was put on this planet to do one thing be my children's father and everything I've learned in my entire life has gone into them that's it <laughs> I think it's I again I the alignment for me with you Robin is unparalleled it's unbelievable I have four kids and uh, yes, <laughs> 12 years old to 27 years old. And oh my gosh, you're a master <laughs> or, or I'm old. One of the two. I'm an old master. How's that? <laughs> ah, the old Jedi master. I used to couch the conversation when they say, Hey, what's the biggest accomplishment? You know, I'd always come back and I would go, Oh, professionally or personally. And I don't do that anymore yeah. because it doesn't matter. Professionally, what I've done has been for them. And personally, yeah. what I've done has been for them. So every job that I've taken, every contract I've said no to every client that I've left home early for because they've had a, you know, CSS uh, tournament or they've had a recital or whatever it is, they are everything and the only thing. And I'm all of my greatest lessons have come from them. So I couldn't be more aligned with that as you well. Know, and, and thankfully, and it sounds like you might have it as well. This is not a solo journey. I could not have made the choice and decisions I made those better ones without what I call what we all need in life. And that's the loving critic mm. uh, who can be objective force that is emotionally attached to our success, but are not emotionally attached to our outcome. So for me, it's my wife. Yeah. And so every time I had an opportunity for further advancement to take another move to do all these great things that the ego in me wanted, I go home all excited. And I say, share with her and my children. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting to do this. What do you think about that? And her answer was always this. Oh, that sounds very nice. Are you going to be home more? Or are you going to be home less? Because we don't care what you do. We just care about you. We want to see you more. And therein lies my entire path. If it, if it meant I was going to be home less, I had to put my ego aside and say, you know, I am first and foremost dad. And that was hard to do. And also other people's opinions. I remember when I was at Quantico and I was an instructor at the counterintelligence training center. And then I took over the behavioral team, which in the, in the FBI is not a great career advancing career path because you're on a support side, you know, like Chris Voss, Chris Voss is not in the, you know, he, when he ran the crisis negotiation group, that's not the, the premier thing on the operations side, you know, believe it or not, you would think so, right? Because the rest of the world sees it, but we're kind of, it's a different track that you're taking. And I remember I had friends of mine saying, Hey, Robin, when are you going to leave that place and come do, do some real work? And I'm like, dude, I know what makes me happy. That ain't it. Your life is not what satisfies me. My life is what satisfies me. And again, the ability to do that requires ego suspension, humility, and understanding your why. And Robin, to jump onto this, and I want I didn't our listeners put words in Chris Voss's mouth either. Maybe he has No, no, no. I was gonna say Chris said the I mean, Chris is a very clear communicator, okay? And he's like I mean, it was a great career for me. Okay. Yes. He goes, but this was not the limelight. This is not the, you know, these are not the, you know, traveling first class. This is not this type of a job. This is a right. very support oriented role that he, he was very kind, Robin. He said that I had the privilege and the honor to do. 
because it's all about serving others. He got he worked very hard for that as well. Uh, he yes. Trained, I, I only met him once very early on when I joined our behavioral team because he's been doing what he's done a long time. So he actually trained me when I joined the team in 2002. Again, it was only three days. Are you calling him old, Robin? Are you calling him I'm super calling old? I'm extremely experienced like and a master. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I read his book uh, last year and because I've, I've been asked a lot. So you sound a lot like Chris Voss in some areas, but then you differ. And I so I needed to understand what he was saying in his book to see that. And the thing I loved about his book was the humility he had when he first because we were both in New York at the same time together. And he went to Mary Galligan was her name. I remember her in New York and saying, I want to be a crisis negotiator. And she said to some, yeah, well, then go volunteer on a, on a suicide hotline for six months, then come back and talk to me again. And he did. And the stories he told about that was profound. Matter of fact, I've used that same advice to people that want to do something similar of be of service. I said, then go practice being of service in high stress situations and then you'll get some. And I, I learned that from Chris's book. And for anybody who's wondering, like Robin said, it's Chris Voss and um, he's going to be airing soon. But he actually speaks about this um, this uh, phrase that, that Robin is talking about where he actually he said, you think that there's this beautiful glorifying, you know, way up to go be a crisis negotiator. And he's like, there's not. And he basically talks about <laughs> working the suicide hotline and yep. feeling of service and feeling of, okay, I, these are the things I need to apply. He said, what I learned there is what I apply every single day. The humility and the candor and the overall respect in his tenor and tonality is is unbelievable. So I really appreciate you guys so much in sharing your honest opinions. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed with the humility he had to then share about his first eval and how he was destroyed yeah. <laughs> and how bad he was. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that, you know, humility and humbleness and vulnerability is one of the greatest ways you can build connections with people. It's like, hey, here's what I'm good at. I know what I'm good at, but no one cares. Here's what I really suck at. But here's what I have in place to overcome that. Here's what I'm working on because people aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to make an effort. And right. if you're self-aware enough to know, all right, I got things I'm working on, but I have a plan. And so just bear with me as I'm working on my plan. I'm not going to be perfect for you. And if you see something that you can poke at for me to let me know, please do. There you go. And and what a beautiful segue into <laughs> emotional intelligence. Ah, the EQ. Self-awareness, <laughs> self-actualization, you know, forward thinking. Where does that stand for you? Talk to me about emotional intelligence and how do you develop this emotional intelligence into relationship development? Um, so I was exposed to emotional intelligence um, back when I was teaching at Quantico. I, was, I just kind of became a fanatic at getting certified in all these different instruments like the Myers-Briggs disc. We used NeoPR, the five-factor model on my behavioral team. My psychs did. And then EQ came along around the same time, emotional intelligence. And so I got, you know, I took that. And I got certified in that as well. I love that to death because it, one, it made me feel better about myself because <laughs> because EQ, right? is <laughs> EQ is something you develop over time. And I think what they said around age 64, basically when we retire, our, our emotional intelligence starts dropping off because we stop you know, hey, whatever I think, I I don't care what anyone else thinks anymore. Uh, but, I'm not uh, self-actualizing. I'm not going to do right. it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, I love emotional intelligence because one, they have the five facets of, of the emotional intelligence. And what I loved is, is that if you have one of these five facets, say it's knowledge of self, which is ego, if one, which is me, right? If you have one of these things that is really spiked too high, 
they don't tell you to stop being so egocentric. They try to mitigate it by increasing something else. So instead of saying, I have to stop, because you can't stop being who you are, but what you can do is you can add something else. And so to overcome that sense of self, which might be a little too high, you make it more about other people to bring that one down. You know, so that's how we bring things in balance. That's why I really love about emotional intelligence is that it's one, you can continually develop it as opposed to IQ, which is really pretty set. That's why I love EQ because my IQ, eh, who knows? But the emotional intelligence is something that if we're aware enough and humble enough to continue to learn and progress, it's something we can continue to improve upon. So tell me what relationship risks, and you can speak from yourself personally or your amazing career. Talk to me about when there's emotional vacancy or people lack self-awareness. What happens in business relationships and in personal relationships? As I've seen it, 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 I don't judge the path anyone else is on. It just becomes a little bit more challenging potentially. I found that people that are, are generally not as self-aware or vacant, as you say, um, they tend to be a little more insecure and they're going to be very a little more emotionally unstable. They're going to be a little more reactionary to things, um, which is fine. It just means, you know, because I think human beings tend to be pretty predictable. You just can't, you know, I, I love sitting back and observing behaviors because once I observe, you know, actions, words, and deeds a few times, I'm going to be able to pretty much predict what you're going to do next, which makes it a little bit easier to deal with. Unless you need someone who actually can cognitively think a little bit clearer and not emotionally react to things. So it's just a little bit more challenging. And then all I then do is I step back and assess is this kind of individual and where they're currently at on their path is compatible with what I'm actually trying to achieve in the moment. And then it becomes just about actions and not about the personalization of the individual so that you don't want to because that way it, to me it's never personal i don't take things personally when they're said to me because even if they're said in, in a manner and a tone which is uh, might offend someone well people take offense because their egos are involved well mine's not involved i just realize if you're developing if you're delivering content to me in a way that is socially not as normal it means that one i i either did something to flare up an insecurity of you so i'm going to own what i might have done to do that and two i also don't allow myself to be collateral damage any insecurities that you have in delivering that content. So I'll listen to the content, see if the content's relevant. If it's not, I'll discard it. If it is, um, I just dismiss how it's coming in at me. And so with emotionally, you know, with people that aren't as self-aware, uh, just might be a little more challenging because they tend to be more transactional, I guess. Right. Transactional is tough, especially in connection. Do you talk yeah. to them about that? Do you say do you say, hey, I'd like to sit down and talk to you? So again, I go back to I go back to Chris and he said, I, he goes, people go, hey, how are you today? He goes, I don't do that. He goes, I look at people and go, tough day, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because emotional labeling. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> how do you bring this forward? How do you either say you're mistrusting of the relationship or you are not as drawn to the relationship as you would like to be? Do you call it out or do you just work around it? I hate saying it, but it depends. It depends on the other person and where I see they're at on their on their path. You know, so as I'm watching and observing someone that might be in, in one of those situations where they are emotionally vacant or whatever it is, if it looks like they're trying to overcome something, I'll generally do maybe one test of, hey, so what kind of challenges do you see yourself dealing with today? What kind of challenge do you do with this project? What kind of challenges? And so when I get a response to an open-ended challenges question, if the challenges focus a lot on things and very current issues, then they tend to be pretty surface people. 
but if I get a more profound, oh my gosh, you know, I'm dealing with this and I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know where I'm going in life. I don't know, you know what my path is, you know, those kind of deeper questions or, or that they have for themselves, then that's someone who's trying to discover something a little bit deeper. So those are ones I'll have, I'll just have a discovery. I call them discovery conversations. We'll ask more questions about what it is they're trying to do. Do you know what your goals and objectives are? What actions are you taking that's moving you forward or not moving you forward? So it really depends on what the other person is looking for. Because uh, I'm never, one thing, if you're going to make connections is one, you don't want to be out of tempo with the other person. And you also don't want to try to bring them down a path that they're not ready to go down yet because you'll blow the connection. So Robin, I want to talk about trust because this is one of the things that I have learned so much in the short time um, that we've known each other, just, just watching you or listening to podcasts or, you know, reading the book. Talk to me about the core principles, because here's the thing. When I started to read those, I was thinking for me, oh, gosh, this is awesome. This is a tool. This is amazing. Okay. But I could also see people who maybe had an issue with ego or maybe weren't maybe as comfortable with themselves or maybe were trying to charm or be charismatic. I could see it not working out so well for them. Um, and like you said, I really say that all the time too. It really depends. I try to meet people where they are mm -hmm. um, and then establish, you know, a really good connection for trust when you're going out and you're getting people to master people trusting them. What are the core principles that you start with? So first, I like to kind of define trust as I define trust. And it is a little bit different than Webster's dictionary definition, which I don't have off the top of my head. And I apologize for that. But I have looked it up to see where I differ. So first, I define trust as really is predictability. Trust isn't about liking someone, which can be extremely subjective, where you have similar likes, interests, background, ethics, morals, all those things help us like someone. But trust is different to me. Trust is about predictable behavior because trust means I can reasonably predict what you're going to do when engaging with me, when engaging with a project, when engaging with anyone else, because trust is repeated behavior. And if I can observe different repeated behaviors over time, I can trust you're going to do things the same way continuously unless something else enters your priorities and that changes that. So, so I, I, to me, trust is about predictable behavior. In other words, when someone's coming down the street and they're in a car and they're in the opposite direction of you, I can trust that you're going to act in your own best interest and not hit me. Meanwhile, I could have my best friend in the world that I love, that he's a great friend and everything, but I'm a pilot and he's not a pilot. I can't trust him to throw them the keys of the plane because I like him and not kill us. Right. You know, so it's about predictable behavior from observation. And so then I have my six signs of predictable behavior I'm looking at. And these are six signs I'm looking at so I can manage my expectations from people I'm engaging with. Because one of the worst things we can do for making a connection and building relationships and building trust is to have a mismatch on what we can reasonably expect someone's going to do and what our expectations are. And so we don't want to hold the bar really high for someone if they're going to come in lower because then we're going to get angry, resentful, mm -hmm. discontentment, all the negative emotions, and that just ruins relationships. What I want to do is I want to place the bar exactly where I expect them to come because I'm watching, observing. That means they're either going to hit the bar, exceed the bar, and because I paid so close attention to them, if they come in below the bar, that means there's something going on in their life that caused them to come below the bar and means I need to find out what that pain point is that caused that. In other words, it makes you 
all about them. So my six signs really quick are number one sign is vesting. In other words, are they doing signs, actions, and deeds that they're vested in your success as much as their own? The second one is longevity. Do they see this relationship as transactional more as long term? Then I'm looking for reliability. Can they actually do what they're going to say? And do they have the diligence to follow through on it? And I'm looking for actions. And this is past patterns of key behaviors. If I see someone do something one, two, or three times the same way, the likelihood of doing it four or five, exactly the same. Then we have language. Language is my most beautiful one because this hits my four core pillars of communication where the communication shifts from you to someone else. That is because are they seeking my thoughts and opinions instead of sharing their own, talking in terms of my priorities instead of theirs, validating me without judging me and giving me choices. Granted, now all these signs are things we should be doing and demonstrating to them as well. And the final sign is the, the big crux and that is emotional stability. Under times of duress and stress and all the emotional hijacking that can go on, how fast do they come back to center and start cognating again? Are they emotionally stable? So those are six signs I'm looking for and there's multiple tells and body language observations make under each one of them, but that's it in a nutshell, so. Yeah, right off the top like of my head, it. too, isn't that amazing? I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> I remembered it. <laughs> what part do you believe that empathy plays with trust? Oh, empathy is everything. So empathy is seeing the world through someone else's point of view and their context, through their optic, their lens, their ethnicity, their generation, their orientation, their where they grew up, their demographic, economic status, social status. Seeing the world through someone else's lens entirely without judging it to understand exactly what they're going through. Compassion is a combination of empathy plus action. So empathy, but is empathy is that first step in seeing that context and making that connection and validating it, being curious about it. That's where we really forge deep connections. And the more you are curious about an individual without judging them, and again, that's the third pillar of communication, that non-judgmental curiosity, that's where empathy comes in. When do you coach and when do you cut? Good question. I face this probably not nearly as much as you do. I coach as long as there's something there's progress being made and someone wants more and they're making progress and not excuses, I guess. So I, I stop. I literally have a client that I stopped because the second they thought they knew it all, um, is his time was like, all right, you know it all, time for you to move on. And I literally got in this, this individual lives overseas and I hadn't heard from him about six months because he said, I got this, thank you so much. I've, I'm gonna master my life and move on. I'm like, okay, because again, I don't judge your path. And um, six months passed and he reached out for me last week begging to, uh, to be a client again because he got fired from his job because his ego got in the way. And uh, he's had some humbling moments and he articulated the things he's learned and how he wants to now continue the path. And I'm like, okay, we'll see if he can fit you in. We'll see exactly how open you are. You know, so it, it's, there you go. It, it comes down to the other person. You coach when there's something to coach and you cut when they think there's nothing more to learn. And for me, when they think there's nothing more to learn, I probably know it a little before they do. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> because I can see it in their body language and yeah. their you know, how attuned they are to listening or wanting to make the change or, or you get the plateau of I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or and there's a impatient. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Impatience is a good one to observe because you can see how impatient people get when they get impatient. There's like, that means, oh, they think they know it. Okay. Yeah. You do. Right. Go, go, go play with it until you don't know it anymore and come back. <laughs> So our last segment is around body language. We've talked about this before. So before the pandemic, I coach executives and entrepreneurs, high wealth, high visibility 
people and I talk about very personal and deep things because I believe personal is business. Mm -hmm. um, I believe deeply that they both, there's no work-life balance, there's work-life harmony because if there's balance, that means everything's equally as important at the exact same time and I don't believe that. I just call so, it life, yes. Right, that's just life. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's just life. And so as long as you have great support and there's people around you that love you, that have no issue calling you out on when your behavior change uh, changes, then I feel like it's 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 a really lovely harmony. That being said, it was extraordinarily difficult for me to do my job on Zoom because I couldn't really see the body language very well. And we're talking about very deep things, um, highly detailed, highly disturbing sometimes on what they were going through, both mentally and physically. And that was very difficult for me to actually have a business running successfully over Zoom without being able to feel the body language in the room. Did you have the same experience or how was it for you in the pandemic around body language? Probably much like you, I'm guessing for you, you got really, really good at voice. Yeah. Because when we lose one sense, the others pick up. Yeah. And so, you know, because our voice and vocals is as powerful as an indicator of anything of, as our body language is. And so you probably got really good at voice. And granted, at least we have a little bit of body on Zoom. But yeah, you definitely do not feel the energy in the room or things like that. So I imagine that you might have looked down and away from the screen a bit more than you used to just so you could listen to the voice because you're baselining what normal is for them as you're talking about more comfortable things and, and when more when potential more stressful things might come up and you're trying to assess how stressful that is for them or how uncomfortable they are with it. You're seeing a deviation from that normal baseline they've established just with their voice. Um, then probably the only thing I'll say that you might might have helped you during this or as it did me a little bit is since you can record zoom calls at least you can go back and watch recordings so you can actually listen to the to the voice as mm. well as watching nonverbals at the same time granted you're only getting from the chest up but yeah you're not getting that critical in the room energy um that you're getting but i'm a glass half full kind of guy i'm gonna find something good out of it <laughs> so i'm gonna say hey you developed mad skills in vocal listening i have a kid question how do you work with the kids through whatever middle school through teenage years through adolescence into moving into adulthood how do you work with them on establishing re-establishing trust after they've broken a rule so this one's always been easy um because of my wife so I'm glad I gave her a lot of credit in this. Um, so, you know, great things in life require teams and relationships mm. and partnerships. And luckily for this, I had this. I am that type A that, you know, as parents, we are trained to be judgmental uh, when our kids, when they're toddlers, because it keeps them safe. And then as they grow, we have to move away from judging and, and be accepting and understanding. Because if we start invalidating their choices and their friends and all these things, they're going to shut down and not talk to us. And the most important thing we can do with our children is can keep open lines of trust and communication. That way, even when they do something from our perspective that's stupid, they're gonna still share it with us so we can still be part of that life. My wife helped me do that so we never judge what they're doing. Now, when it comes to actually behavior that was in, I'll call it behavior that's incongruent with with them moving forward and being and having progress, what we generally did was this. Oh, you froze on me. Um, what we generally did was this. If luckily for us, my both my children had a had a decent understanding of what they wanted to do with their lives. And that became the bedrock of our conversations when their behavior deviated. So my daughter wanted to be a nurse for a very long time. She went, at least the story I understand, I'll probably be wrong. She volunteered at my wife's school that she, my wife will substitute teach at their elementary school. And she went in one summer and she helped out the school nurse. From that time forward, she wanted to be a nurse. And so from, from that point forward, my job was to be a resource for her success in nursing. 
whether the college she wants to go to, the program she wants to get into, and all these different things. So every time she might do a behavior that was incongruent with that, whether breaking curfew, grades, actions, friends, the question always came down to, hey, Caitlin, help me understand. You said you want to be a nurse. You said you want to do this. In order to do that, we have to do X, Y, and Z, correct? Yes. Help me understand what this behavior here did to help or hinder you achieving that. So it became a conversation about what it is that they were trying to do with their lives and how that behavior was either helping or hindering them from doing the same thing with my son. My son wanted to go to Naval Academy and being living in Northern Virginia, trying to go to the service academy, you know, and you are going to compete against the best in the country. We're the most competitive congressional district in the entire country. So you have to go way above and beyond. And so every time he wanted to get lazy and not do things and join clubs and be do sports, or I was asking him more about his grades and I was asking about my daughter, he's, I remember he very clearly said, he goes, Dad, how come you're always asking me about my grades more than Caitlin? I said, that's easy. Caitlin wants to go to George Mason University and become a nurse. She's good to go. You're trying to go to the Naval Academy. I said, if you don't want me to ask you all about your grades, change what it is you want to do. It's pretty simple. Your choice. I'm here to support you. So I would say because you got to make it about them. I love that. I really I mean, I just think that that's it's so tactical, but it's so practical in just making it about them and asking them questions about what they want. Has that changed? You know, have you changed your decision on what you yeah. want to do? Or exactly I think that's said. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. Robin, this has been so fun. As usual, it's always awesome to hang out with you. I love spending time with you. I learn so much. As you well know, this whole entire show is about obstacles and opportunities. What is the biggest obstacle that you have faced that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? Failing out of aerospace engineering and my eyes going bad so I couldn't be a Navy pilot. <laughs> I'd say it started there. <laughs> and and becoming ranked last in my first squadron in the Marine Corps, 14 out of 14, and being told I just need to be a better leader. That was The gauntlet was laid down to try to figure it all out. So there you go. That was probably the first of many. But it, it started the road going of what do I do now? What now, Lieutenant, is the famous phrase we use. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all that. And Robin, where do people go to find out more about you and get your book and all that good stuff? Absolutely. And thank you. Peopleformula.com. That's my company. Peopleformula, all one word, dot com. Um, you can, I got a page on there for my podcast. I have three books. I have online learning, training, coaching, you name it. All things Death by Robin are on there as well as all the free articles and resources. So however you want to scale yourself, go right there and as well as reach out for me. I'm pretty communicative. At least I try to be. So there you go. Thanks a lot, Stephanie. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and looking forward to chatting with you really soon. Me too. It's going to be great. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my my website at stephaniemalik.com.